the day before Christmas Eve, Christmas Eve Eve, and this is Re-Educating Dad, the cross-generational podcast, and this is episode 36. Welcome, dear listener, and uh, we have some sad news today in that Little Tone, who has actually been brave enough to join us for this episode, Little Tone Got COVID for Christmas. That's the title of this episode. So she has had a very rough time over the last few days, but she's kindly agreed uh, to share her experience. Because actually, I don't, I, I, this is the first person who's really close to me. Obviously, Little Tone is my daughter and uh, that's actually experienced the illness. So um, I'm hearing, I've been hearing over the past few days firsthand what it's like to go through this horrible um, disease, illness, and she's going to share that with you and also her experiences of having, well, hopefully she's got some idea of how she picked this up because she's been very careful. She's in the vulnerable category, and we've all been very concerned about her, obviously. And I've had, and thank you, dear listener. We've had lots of uh, well wishes. For her. Um, you can hear her coughing there in the background. So it's been a really rough time to her, for her. Uh, before I introduce her, she's my co-presenter, as you know, on this uh, for this podcast. And but we've also got a very special guest, our, our, who's become a regular guest on the show, <laughs> and that is my grandson Ben. Um, so we're going to do this episode in two parts. First of all, we're going to talk to Tony about um, her experience of, of contracting COVID. And then we're going to have a lighter part of the show where we talk about, from our different generational perspectives, we are going to talk about our early experiences and memories as a child of Christmas and see how that's changed um, over the course of the three generations represented here. So first of all, Tony, if you're feeling up to it, maybe you could uh, share with us um, how, you, uh, how you felt the last few days and your experiences of, of dealing with the system. Is that okay? Yeah, no problem. Um, well, I've had COVID now for about a week. So I think this is day, day seven today. Um, and it's been a real roller coaster of symptoms <coughs> i came down um with a sore throat like a, an, an inflamed throat and sore dry throat on tuesday night last week um sorry this week and um knew i was i had a tightness in my chest and um decided to go to bed early and i woke up at eight thirty in the morning with um, a fever so I immediately called 119 which is the COVID helpline and they booked me in for a test um, so my father-in-law drove me to go and have a test it was like a swab up the nose and on the tonsils um, and then I came home and uh, I pretty much don't remember any of Wednesday day I was feverish and asleep pretty much all day um, the same for the next day Thursday and then I started to feel a little bit better on Friday. Um, and I was like, wow, okay, well, then maybe this isn't so bad. Maybe this is all scaremongering. Um, I didn't have my results by this point. So there was still a chance that I just had like a chest infection or, a, you know, a throat infection or something like that. Right. Um, um, and, um, 
yeah, I started to have what some people call a false kind of up, mm. um, like where you think you think you're getting better, um, and then it all came like crashing down again on on Saturday, and I started to feel uh, really sick again, really high fever, um, really tight chest, uh, very dry cough, um, unpleasant toilet problems. Uh, I'm just trying to think. Oh, and I, and I started to lose my sense of taste and smell, <clears throat> which is very, very weird. Um, Saturday morning, I got my test results, which were positive. So I had to contact everyone that I'd been in contact with. So, so um, you have, do you have to do that, um, Tony? You have, <coughs> you, you have to reach out, do you? Yeah. Well, yeah, you, you are legally obligated to... To, to you're responsible for telling people that you've been in contact with and you're responsible for telling track and trace like providing phone numbers and email addresses and I'd been to a to a COVID safe outside meal on Saturday and on Sunday so I'd been in contact with eight people um, over those two days and so I contacted everyone handed all the details over to track and trace um, track and trace got in contact with those people within five minutes of me submitting the details um, but really the extent of track and trace is just a very firm word telling you not to leave the house and not to mix with anyone there's nothing aside from that you know um, as as you said dad I'm on the clinically vulnerable list and, and I've been told constantly through lockdown that I'm on the clinically vulnerable list um, but they don't actually give you any advice if you if you get COVID. So right. when I was contacted by track and trace, they said, do you have any questions? And I said, well, you know, I'm on this vulnerable list. It says if I get it, then I, I'm the most likely to, um, to get seriously ill and need hospital intervention. Is there anything that I need to know? Or like when, when would I need to go to hospital A and E? And the guy was like, sorry, can you repeat the question? <laughs> Yeah. Uh, well, I, the one thing I was, I was. Well, oh. Surely that's a simple question. When? <laughs> yeah, you would think so. I think Ben's mm. got a question for yeah, you. Yeah, sorry, ben? you were cutting out. I didn't realise you were talking. Hello? Um, well, one thing I was wondering was, what do they um, define as um, contact with a person? Is it like a prolonged amount of time? Like how? How do you define whether you've had contact with someone or, or not? Is it just passing by them in the street or? That's a good question. Have we lost you, little tone? Hello. Yeah, I'm sorry, you lost me for a second. Could you just say that again, Ben? Um, I was asking what they um what they define as contact with uh with a person. How do you know that you've had contact with them, or you've just like passed by them in the street? Is it like a prolonged amount of time? Is it a certain amount of time or certain amount of contact that you have to have with that person? I don't really um define that. They just say, "Have you been in direct?" Well, yeah, no, they do. There's there's two categories. There's people that you've been in direct contact with, which is under a meter. Mm. And there's people that you've been in indirect contact with. I mean, that would be almost impossible. Um, yeah. Because obviously when you walk through a, a pub or you walk to go to the toilet somewhere or, yeah, if you're in a shop, like you can't possibly um, comment anyone. <coughs> All I can say is I've been so, so careful with mm. using my mask, not touching things, sanitizing, washing my hands, because I know how vulnerable I am. 
And But I live in Hastings, which is right next to Kent, where they've just announced that the super spreader is, where the, um, the, the uh, virus has morphed into a different strain or developed into a different strain, and it's 70% more um, infectious. So I, I think really it could have happened anywhere. Mm. Um, and I think that the problem is, is because my immune system's already compromised, I think I'm just much more susceptible to picking up these things. How did you um, find, did you have to wait long for your test? Uh, I, no, I called up at 8.30 on Wednesday morning and I had my test at 9am. It was a walkthrough test. Right. Um, pretty quick. But I, I had to wait three days for the results, which I think is really bad because mm. um, obviously in that time, it's very, hard, it's very hard to get the people that you've been in contact with to self-isolate if they've got jobs and, you know, it's, it's kind of hard for people to say, tell their bosses, oh, I'm not coming in just in case, because it does sound like a bit of a fib. Yes. Um, I, how yeah. did they, the people that you reached out to, sort of how many people did that involve and, and what was their reaction? Well, it involved the, the eight people that I was directly in contact with, but I don't know how many people they have been directly in contact with. I know that one of them has tested positive. Tom, Tom my husband's tested positive. Yeah. Um, but but they were all <laughs> they were all super responsible and said, "I'm going to book my testing now." Um, they've all been self isolating since. Uh, the only the only problem is is I've got I had one friend who, when I contacted him, he was already like hours into his drive to Aberdeen, so he was already like a long way um, on his on his journey home for Christmas. Um, and so he, he, he booked in the test, but, you know. But he went home anyway. Yeah. As, I think um, that he was nearly, nearly there, yeah. Yeah. Go on, Ben. <coughs> I, I was um, wondering if, has uh, getting COVID changed uh, your opinions on anything that we've talked about in this podcast, such as, like, tier systems or lockdown, or has it, has it changed your opinion at all? Or have you, uh, you mentioned the, thinking it might have been scaremongering at the start? Yeah, I mean, it, there's no doubt about it. It is a really rough, it's a rough disease. Mm. Um, and I can see why it would be really, uh, really bad for some people. Um, I do think that there is a big element of scaremongering. And I think most people probably uh, experience a very uh, light few days of feeling dizzy and sick. Um, but I guess for the people that, don't you know for the people that experience it much worse than this it's it's you know it is very dangerous yeah. um like i said i keep feeling like i'm getting better i felt be i felt quite good yesterday and then i had a fever again in the evening and i was just like for god's sake <laughs> why does this why does it keep i keep thinking i'm getting on top of it and then i get yeah i mean i feel awful this morning um so <clears throat> i mean i guess i feel like there's no way that when people are not going to get this, I feel like everyone's going to have to get it. Um, so I think probably the tier system, well, it didn't work for me, did it? <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, no, the problem with the no, tier it's... system is, is the super spreader was in Kent, but lots of people were traveling from Kent in tier three to tier two in Hastings to go out to the pub and to meet friends and stuff like that. And they were bringing it to other areas anyway. 
Yeah, that, people are just bending the rules. It doesn't <clears throat> seem to me like there's a very high level of compliance, really. But the um, you know the, your, your point about I think everybody <laughs> I think everybody's got to get it. I think that's probably, uh, there's a lot of truth in that. But on the other hand, you know when you get to the sort of over fifties, the mortality rates starts to climb. And then when you get sort of over 60, it becomes a bit more alarming and then 70, even more so alarming. And, and you know, then you're in, you're in sort of, sort of little hope land. Um, so I think that the strategy of giving vaccines to the, <laughs> the, to, to the most aged and most vulnerable is the right way to do it. Um, yeah, but yeah, but also there have been there have been some you know tragic cases of young people uh, succumbing to the disease, haven't there? Well, I actually in my clinically vulnerable letter it says that I'll be getting the vaccine soon. Oh, good. So it's not just you know old people that they're they're giving it to first because they said they were starting with the eighty plus category. Yeah, and so I, when I was watching one of the announcements this week, sorry, <coughs> someone, <coughs> one of the press people, asked uh, Boris why, um, <coughs> uh, why, you know, would there be a good reason for giving the vaccine to the working class so that they can get back out and working and get the economy going? That that seems to make sense to me. Hmm. It seems to make sense to me <laughs> to get the vulnerable and old to continue shielding and to <clears throat> give the vaccine to people that are still making the economy work. <laughs> yeah, I think I think that's right. I mean, it's, <coughs> as, you, as you're probably aware, there are two sort of quite different schools of opinion. The, the majority scientific opinion seems to be that the lockdowns are the right way to go mm. on a global basis. That seems to be the majority scientific opinion opinion but majority scientific opinion does not necessarily mean correct i mean at one time you know the majority of scientists thought that the earth was flat um you know, and the, the you know the the, the, the uh, earth was the center of the universe uh, so i think you don't add up the numbers on one side and add up the numbers on the other side and if there's a big number of scientists then that they're definitely right i don't think that's good science um, but and and there is this other school of opinion, minority it is, but that says lockdowns don't really work. They just delay the spread. And I don't think that it's easy to determine which of those positions is really correct for the for our species. What do you think, Ben? Um, I think it depend it depends on um, what you're trying to achieve from uh the the measurements if you're if you're trying to uh achieve the like as as minimal amounts of mortalities as possible then i can see the argument in in vaccinating the old and not at first as opposed to um the working class because obviously um <laughs> you're preventing uh the older people from from dying from from covid um but or, or if you want to sort of maintain as much as normal life as you might say uh, as uh then you probably do want to vaccinate the um the working class so they can go out and work my let me just before you continue let me just clarify what i meant i'm not just talking about vaccines i'm talking about whether lock whether continually going into lockdown is the right solution 
because locking down has a lot more uh, ramifications in terms of de total destruction of our co economy in time mm. um, and people dying, many people dying because they can't get treatment for other reasons. Mm, um, yeah. You know, that, those are the sort of things. It's, it's really, do lockdowns really work? Um, I'm inclined to go that, I'm inclined to say that yes, they do, just because on the fact that I'm not as educated as all these scientists that are saying the lockdowns do work. So therefore, I don't really have a, a leg to stand on if I disagree with them. Because but there are scientists who are saying the opposite. Sorry to, sorry to tramp on you. No, there, no, are, there are scientists who are saying the opposite. I mean, they're not there. They are in the minority. Yeah. And that's, that's why I'm sort of inclined to go with the majority because they, again, they are, there are people that are educated that, that disagree, but the, the majority of people that are educated in medical, in the medical practice agree that lockdown should be, uh, are the most effective tool. And therefore I think that, I think that we should, I, believe the lockdowns work i think the reason why we're climbing in rates is because we're sort of dangling our foot in both sort of uh, fields of thought with these tier systems that i don't i don't think really work because if there's one thing that that's been made obvious is that the people of england if if there's a guidance they will not follow it if it's if there's a rule they will follow they're more inclined to follow it Fair and enough. therefore i think i think lockdown yeah, that's it's, fair it's, enough. I must say, I get confused. The last person I talk to, I tend to sort of agree with <laughs> if they're persuasive enough. So I, I'm, you know, I, mean, I, I must say, I'm, I'm rather agnostic on it. Yes, little tone. There's no doubt that, um, you know, the first lockdown prevented me from getting COVID. You know, yeah. you know, yeah. shielding in my house. Everyone was a lot more afraid, you know, so everyone was compliant. I think the problem is, is that people are getting complacent now. Um, they're starved of social interaction and they're starting to bend the rules. Like, like Ben said, they're not following the guidance. Yeah. I, I went, I, I took a risk and went and had a meal in London when I knew that the, the lockdown was coming into effect on Wednesday. And I went, I went to London on the Sunday um, because I thought that <laughs> I thought that I if I followed the rules and sanitized my hands and used a mask and and washed my hands and you know kept my distance that I would be okay I believed that I would be okay and and the, and the truth is that this is an invisible virus you the most annoying thing is not knowing where where you've contracted it from yeah you know uh, I keep going over like how on earth I could have picked it up when I was being so careful and you yep. know it just it, 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 didn't, it isn't worth the risk basically at all um, well <laughs> you both make really good points and thank you for sharing little tone your experience um, with everybody because uh, I think it's very valuable to hear from somebody who's actually experienced it directly now getting on to more uh, well first of all <laughs> I guess we should say that we've had to change. We've all had to change our plans for Christmas um, quite radically. In fact, Little Tone was going to spend; she and her husband um, were going to spend Christmas with us. And in fact, you know, in a way, it was a blessing that you got it a little bit early, or you or you knew you had it a little, you know, a few days earlier. That otherwise you might have um, come into our home. And of course, we're in our mid sixties, and that might not have had a good outcome. So I suppose. 
in one way it was it was good that you found out when you did uh but we yeah. all you know we've all obviously had to change our plans radically um kiki and i um, will be spending uh, it, it uh, christmas alone and relying on this medium you know uh, technology to see our families um and that's very sad uh but not the end of the world you know um but what i wanted to do in this final part of of this episode is to talk about our different generational experiences and memories of christmas going way back so i thought if i could maybe kick off since um i'm the oldest and the ugliest here um and just uh talk about what i remember i i suppose my first uh, memories of christmas um as i guess maybe five or six maybe five years old probably my earliest memories maybe a little before that i just remember a huge the christmas decorations coming out of the loft being a huge deal i don't think they are such a huge deal anymore because they're so much better now i mean you know the thing that i remember the, the disappointment that i always felt when we got the tree in place and you always knew, well, first of all, you had to untangle the lights because they were, they, they were, you know, this old sort of wiring that was sort of three or four wires all entwined together. So they got all messed up. So it was, a, it was probably about a couple of hours just un, untangling them. And the next thing was when you got them all on the tree, you knew that even if they were working before you put them on the tree, they weren't going to be working by the time you got them on the tree. So that was that sort of occupied an immense amount of time was just getting the tree lights to work because you had to go around every single bulb to find out which bulb was breaking the circuit. That was just bad. Um, I remember the tinsel being awful. <laughs> it was just <laughs> awful compared to the beautiful stuff that you have now. Um, but sort of moving into the area of snow, uh, white Christmases, because you tend to think back and think that there was snow. And I was looking back at the record this morning in preparation for this, because I thought that I felt sure there was lots of snow at Christmas, but actually there was only probably a couple of Christmases in my whole lifetime when it was a white Christmas. And the, the most white Christmas was 1968, where apparently there were 10 centimeters of snow. So our listeners in Canada will think that's really wimpy. <laughs> um, but I remember it being cold that's I think because we had no central heating uh, when I was that age <laughs> so it was definitely cold but I wanted to ask you uh, maybe starting with you Lil Tone about your sort of early memories what do you remember about Christmas what's the first things you remember about it <coughs> well I just remember it being completely magical like we had the, the, getting the decorations out was a massive deal. Mum has always made a beautiful house, you know, at Christmas. Yes. And I remember Victorian um, kind of like bushels of holly and red berries and, you know, really good quality um, decorations that were really beautiful. And I actually really enjoyed the process of getting the lights out and checking which bulb worked and untangling them because it, it it was a process to putting all the decorations up and then and, and the whole house looking amazing um and I always felt like we had the most 
beautiful tree because it was huge it would pretty much touch the ceiling and then we had that like antique gold angel that used to go on the top um and she had a porcelain face and porcelain hands um and just just um i i we were so spoiled as kids we just used to get given so many gifts like more gifts than a, a small child should be given like i remember just waking up <laughs> after Christmas Eve and just being absolutely blown away by how many gifts we'd been given and yeah it just such such a magical time you um, paint you, so, you paint a lovely picture yeah well I mean the, de the I actually think the opposite of you about the decorations I think the decorations are more plasticky and more cheap um mm. nowadays and i actually really really i feel quite nostalgic about the old christmas decorations like tom and i are trying to buy one nice christmas decoration ornament for the tree every year sometimes we get gifted them by his in fact we always get gifted one by his mum um and rather than just getting these cheap ball balls that smash and all their plastic and stuff like that and i just um i remember being so excited as a kid getting the decorations out and going through yeah, you know, I, th I, th I think I probably forgotten. I think I gave a sort of unjustifiably too Grinchy account <laughs> there. Um, I, I also felt magical about it, and I loved that Christmas. I, I loved the time of year, and I loved all that. It's just that now it just seems, uh, you know, especially after, as you know, uh, we spent quite a few Christmases in um, America, um, you know, where everything is sort of so i mean really christmasy um and lovely i don't know what your memories are how you felt about your time in america i know you were a lot bigger then it's just very it's very extravagant in america yeah. um I, I think that it's it's beautiful but i i am very drawn to the romanticism of the victorian christmas and as a young child i remember us having really special christmas decorations um a lot of which i know mum still owns um but I, I you know i i've no doubt that that they were ones that you bought dad but they were really special you know we didn't have plastic yeah um fairy lights we had glass fairy lights and yeah, they were yeah, all multicolored yeah. and nostalgic and we had this rag doll that always went under the tree and then me and my younger sister would always play ragdoll and ballerina toys and we'd lie under the tree and wake up on Christmas morning and I'd always be the ballerina and it was just funny. Uh, oh, that's an ama amazing memory. <laughs> I wish my memory was that, that good. Um, ben, let's hear from you. Uh, I'd like to also hear um, when, and this is a spoiler alert, so if there's any, uh, if you've got any young children within earshot of this episode, now would be the time to um, put earmuffs on them or something. Uh, but um, do you remember the time when you ceased to believe in Santa? Um, I don't remember a specific time, uh, to be honest. But mm. I think that might... I don't think I was ever told. I think I just sort of came to a, a, a slow realisation... Well, not a slow realisation, just a realisation that he, that he didn't exist. Um, I don't... I can't remember a specific time where someone told me he doesn't exist. Well, I because can. I, think, I, I can remember it, and I'm going to share it with you. You both. can. Oh. I can. I can remember the exact moment. Um, but I'll first of all let you talk about your early experiences of Christmas because you're a different um, generation again. Well, I can't. Unlike you guys, I can't really remember the 
the magical feeling that I felt. Maybe I'm just a lot more cynical. Um, <laughs> but um, what I do remember is um, uh, is how um, sort of how hectic, but hectic in a good way it, it was almost because um, our, my family is very big and they're very they're very spread out in different places of England. So I just I Christmas is involved. Um, spending a couple of days here, then sort of Boxing Day, I'd go all the way up to to Wales to see my family there, um, and then and then into London to see you guys and stuff like that. And it was just um, so I, I almost had like mini Christmases like throughout the late December, which was really nice. And it was it was really good to see um, to see family that I didn't maybe, especially in in Wales and stuff, and then and in London where I didn't see. A, a great deal of um and um i remember the food the food was uh, i'm a very big uh foodie so that is mm. one of the one of my favorite things about about christmas <laughs> yeah mine <laughs> is, too is, is having the especially especially my um my nan is, is who is a very good cook um, right had a, had a whole table of, of stuff uh had a whole <laughs> table of food that I just loved. <laughs> You're making me hungry, Ben. Stop <laughs> sorry, sorry. <laughs> okay, I'm going to tell you the moment because I could. The reason that I remember it so vividly is because I probably found out too early, when mm. I was still, you know, very much in the believing the magical. Someone told you, didn't they? Belief in the, yeah, someone told me, and it, it was actually someone connected to a famous person. Um, and uh, there was there was a, uh, in fact. The same person that, uh, that that told me about atheism at the same time. I was, <laughs> I was too young to um, appreciate even what that meant, really. Uh, but he did that in a very dramatic way too. But there was a there was a famous comedian in Weybridge, where I where I grew up, um, back in way back when, and his name was Charlie Drake. It won't mean anything to you, Ben. I don't know if it means anything to you, Little Town. Probably not. Um, but you remember we had some friends who lived in Marava, uh, a Weybridge house called Maraval, the, the Hobbins. Do you remember that? Yeah, I remember the Hobbins. Same yeah. street as them, almost probably a couple of houses along, was Charlie Drake's home, this famous comedian. I mean, he was a big comedian, you know, sort of Michael McIntyre sort of, um, you know, level, I suppose. Um, and uh, his, he... Although he was a comedian, he did sort of have a bit of a reputation to, of being a bit of a Grinch when he wasn't actually performing in a comedy situation. And uh, I suppose this must have rubbed off on his two children, um, who I went to prep school with. And they were really quite, quite outspoken and menacing in the way that they carried on. And uh, they were, it was one of the two brothers, I think it was the younger of the two, uh, who, who just came out with it, you know. And I was sort of still very much uh, in, you know, I was very small in the school. And uh, I was still very much in the belief camp, uh, you know, and it's, it really hit me. So I went back sort of distraught to tell my parents, you know, to sort of question my parents about this. So I think it was a bit of a shame, really. but. Um, yeah, that's my story about losing my belief 
<laughs> in Santa yeah, Cruz. The same thing happened to me as well. Did it? I was about I was about ten, so I think still too young. Um, and Jackie told me because she was worried about <laughs> mum and money. Um, um, yeah, so she she basically was just like, "You need to know." Um, but you know, with kids, they don't see money, so yeah, I didn't need to be bought expensive gifts. You know, like I think it's a real shame that we take the magic away from children too young because. Actually, Ben, you might not remember the magic, but I remember it feeling the magic all over again when you and Tyler were young because you didn't know that Santa Claus wasn't real. So I got to pretend he was real again, which was mm -hmm. so fun. Um, and Jackie always made Christmases so special for you guys. I remember mm. nothing was too, was too good for you guys. Well, um, your mum, Ben, loves, loves Christmas. I oh, mean, yeah. 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 Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely loves it. I'm I'm very much aware. <laughs> yeah, which is a, which is a really really sweet thing. Mm. Well, look, uh, we have gone over our thirty minutes, but um, I really enjoyed that chat, and uh, hope you both did too. And I hope our listeners um, enjoyed it. Uh, thank you very much, Little Tone, for um, <laughs> uh, come, you know coming out of your sick bed to uh, to do this episode with us. We really really appreciate it. Thanks to you, Ben. Uh, for always being so, uh, making such uh, interesting contributions. Uh, it's lovely. No problem. Um, so it only remains for me to wish all of you, dear listeners, a very Merry Christmas on behalf of the three of us. Uh, but do please share your early memories of your Christmases. We'd love to hear them. We always love to hear your feedback. So please do follow the uh, instructions in the in the. Um, in the show notes uh, that will tell you how to do that. And please also, if you like our show, we'd really appreciate it if you would write a review on our podcast on Apple. That would really help us. And also, if you would share uh, this episode with your friends and family, if you like it, that would very much help us too. So have a lovely time. Season's greetings to you all. And we look forward to speaking with you again. On the, uh, in the new year, when let's hope there's much better <laughs> on the uh, COVID front. So it's goodbye from the elder statesman here. I'm not sure about I'm a statesman, but I'm the elder one, that's for sure. <laughs> goodbye from me. Goodbye from me. Goodbye from me. Great. Thanks. Thanks, everyone. Bye for now. <laughs> <laughs>